my Nate knows this, uh, but my preferred death is uh, I don't, you know, like if I get the cancer diagnosis or whatever, I want to uh, just give me like a, a jet pack and a bunch of weapons and drop me in a terrorist situation and just let me go out. My <laughs> Do own good. T- yeah. And on a positive note, yeah. saving some people. Name a school after me, maybe a yeah. library. I think that's the, uh, the plot of Iron Man 1. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That's where I got that from. Welcome to the Our Father Stories podcast, where we share stories of ordinary people experiencing the kingdom of God in everyday life. My name is Nate Paragoy. I'm one of the pastors here at Our Father Lutheran Church in Centennial, right outside Denver. And I'm joined on this episode by my good friend and my co-host, Pastor Micah Steiner. We have an incredible episode for you today. If you are struggling with things like anger or boundaries or perfectionism, or I'd even say that right, perfectionism there, got it. Gratitude. These are some topics that we're going to cover today with our guest, Ruth Cook, longtime member of our congregation, just incredible woman, a friend of ours for many years. So lean in, folks. You're going to want to hear this episode. I remember you saying to me, I didn't expect to get this to this part of my life and have this sense of peace. Tell us more about that. I think I I think the the um, normal way to think about aging is that it's all downhill physically, mentally, maybe not spiritually, but that there's so much to cope with and there's so much that draws you away from peace and. Thanks to God, I have, I have just found that I, I move deeper and deeper into peace as I grow older. When did that change for you? Because this is not a normal uh, person here uh, that, that thinks this way. I'm thinking of people I know who are terrified of death. And so, so did you ever have a, I don't know, like a fear of death or um, now that, and I'm, I'm just using your own words that we had previously, you're closer to death uh, in age anyways. When did that change? Um, I think just as I've grown older, I've said goodbye to so many people that I love and care about. And so death has kind of become part of the culture that I live in as an older person. And so I've had to kind of ask God, how am I supposed to go about this? Because I'm not anxious to die, and I'm not anxious to have the process of dying. That's yeah. the part that I, I'm not feeling good about. But the end result, I know where I'm going. I know who I will be with. Plus, I'll see a whole bunch of people again that I love. And so um, I, I think just kind of gradually God is getting me ready for that time whenever it is. Yeah. Now, the joke will probably be that I'll live to 98 or something <laughs> like that. So, you know, but... Uh, so you said gradual. Uh, take us to before. How did you see these same things prior to the way that you see them now? If you were to kind of do a compare... Well, I think I've been influenced in the past by people... I'm 77. And so a, a good friend of mine said, don't tell people that. That just sounds old. And I have experienced ageism, and I have experienced 
discrimination because I'm older, so I know about that. But that's not going to dictate how I approach old age. And so um, I think the culture says, oh, you know this um, commercial on TV where the woman says age is just a number and mine is unlisted. (laughs) And I'm thinking, well, come on, (laughs) you know. I, I see no reason not to be the age I am. And so I think before that, it was always appear younger, appear more perfect than you are, appear um, put together always. And if you forget a word or if you get something wrong or something, it's got to be about aging. You know, well, I did a lot of forgetting when I was in my 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever. So that's nothing new. But the the stigma around it, I think, can kind of permeate us. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know how the Holy Spirit has done it, except very gradually as I grow in the Word, as I talk to people of faith, um, as I encounter, like my good friend who says, don't tell people your age, I think I have to think that through. And I have to say, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I, I am who I am. Yeah. yeah. And I'm as old as I am. <laughs> Do you see a difference in people who don't share your same faith in, in their attitude or approach to aging or death? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's um, a lot of denial and a lot of kind of horror around. And I, I know that aging uh, takes its toll. <laughs> um, so a lot of people work very, very hard to avoid that or deny that. But I think with God, you can face it. That's, that's probably the secret sauce. Yeah, which I think more. We, we have lots of conversations about identity. And that's been a key conversation for us pastorally with people and preaching and Bible studies of our identity being rooted in Christ and not in the external world. And that language, if you're, if you're not a Christian, is foreign. And that, that attitude, the posture that that can give a person, the peace that can give a person. And when, when you talk, that, that's what I think about is you, it is Holy Spirit, yes, but you also have an identity that's rooted in something outside of your the things you're doing in this world or yeah. accomplishments or uh, just things you have to cope with and always having something going wrong or whatever that's I, I deal with that every single day but I don't focus on that um, I tend to go through the day if the sun yesterday was shining through those golden leaves on the tree just to thank God for that my dog is getting better from liver failure, and I just watch him run around, and I thank God for that. So I tend to keep going back to that kind of thankfulness, which does shift your thinking Mm -hmm. uh, away from the horrors of what might be ahead. Uh, God will be with me in that, whatever it is, whenever it is. I'm hearing you talk about a practice whether it's intentional or not, but an attitude of gratitude is sort of the cliche. I heard somebody say one time that um, something like, it's not that um, grateful people are happy, but that happy people practice gratitude. That that happiness isn't an accident, but there's a habit of 
recognizing the things to be grateful for that produces happiness. Did I say that in the right way? I think so. Yeah. 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 I'm a mental health educator. And so I've for a long time been focused on the power of our thinking to generate our emotions. And so what we think determines our emotions. And most of us want to think that our emotions just fall out of the sky down on us. We're angry, we're upset, we're worried, we're fearful, whatever. It just comes out of there. But it's really what we're thinking. And if you look at Scripture, there are so many instances where um, the the psalmists are praying that God would inform their thinking, not in those words, but... um, and. If you've been around me more than 15 minutes, you know that I say one of my most frequent prayers is, God, help me to think about this. So some really troubling, upsetting situation. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to make sense of it or whatever. So I have to say, God, help me to think about this. I'm just not understanding what's going on here. so I think God is informing my thinking about growing older and dying and those kinds of things. And, and my feelings then, my emotions, come along like a little red wagon. And so that peace, that gratitude, all of that kind of follows the thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of uh, one of the Psalms. It's in the 60s. Uh, I don't know which <laughs> Uh, where the psalmist says to his own soul, why are you downcast, yeah. O my soul? Yeah. Hope in God. Um, that we have, Sometimes we have to tell our feelings the truth. Yes. And let our feelings follow the truth rather than let our feelings be formed. Or, yeah. I, yeah. Just, just let the feelings uh, kind of overtake us and we have no control and there's nothing you can do and uh, that's not true Mm -hmm. it it really is true that our thinking produces our feelings and so we have to really watch our thinking and that's what we're told in scripture too is you know watch watch your thinking and what's going on Mm -hmm. there Google says it's Psalm 42.5, by the way, Nate. 42.5. You were close, though. Way off. Good, good job. By like 20. Yeah. Uh, so what, what's the prayer, again, that you said that you pray so often? God, help me to think about this, yeah. whatever this is, whatever's going on. And I heard that earlier in the way that you reflected on something you heard a friend say to you. I need to think about, you know, age... Don't tell anybody your age. I'm hearing <laughs> yes. uh, over the last few minutes just sort of a, a reflective posture that incorporates your faith in your life in a very meaningful, intentional way. Yes. And um, more and more, I'm well, I sort of have to. As I've grown older, I realize I need a little pause. Like if I see someone coming across the room to me, by the time they get to me, I'll know their name. If they pop out of the bushes at me, I won't get their name. (laughs) So I need a pause. And so I'm learning more and more that I need a pause in a lot of things where I can express that prayer, whether I say the words or not, and say, I'm I'm just going to think about that. Or can I call you back tomorrow and tell you about it or something like that. But I, I find that pause is where... 
God can work on me mm-hmm. <laughs> and change me. Could you share some more about that? That's really very interesting to me. Uh, what are some other moments where you find yourself pausing on purpose or perhaps by accident? Um, one, one of my triggers for um, anger and resentment is people disrespecting me. And, of course, that's born out of the belief that everything is about me. And therefore, people should be respecting me all the time. So if someone is disrespectful or something, um, I pause. That old count to ten thing is genius. It really is genius because you don't have to speak right away. You can pause, and if someone questions you, you can say, I'm thinking, I'm trying to process this or whatever. So I think in in the whole area of uh, feeling disrespected and and all the emotions that that thought generates, um, then if I pause and say, you know what, I don't think this is about you. I think they are dealing with something, they are mistaken, they are whatever, but it may not be about me at all. And that, that to me, it goes back to identity. It really dings our identity when somebody disrespects us because, you know, it's like, hey, you're knocking me down. Yeah, yeah, and you just don't know, you don't know who I am or you don't respect who right. I am. Does that have anything to do with our current culture or is there any connections there? Like, we, it seems like we're so angry at each other and no conversation and pointing fingers and yelling and throwing sticks and stones. Our culture is so full of this anger. Uh, I'm a current events junkie, so I'm kind of like in the middle of all of this all the time. And I'm constantly astonished at the levels of adrenaline that, that people just carry around hair trigger thing. You don't have to say much to trigger that kind of anger and stuff going on with people. Um, and um, so I, I, think, I think it's a measure of our fallen culture, our fallen nature. Um, and I think we have to be people of peace in the middle of it. And when adrenaline levels are really high and people are all wound up and everything, they're not going to listen to reason. It's like trying to, to um, reason with a toddler. You know, it just doesn't work. They don't get it. Um, but I think there are some things that we can do to kind of bring down the level by being a non-anxious presence, that old phrase that, that we know. But by being a person of peace. And last night I finished a class at DU, and we ended with, we've always had a good discussion, but we ended up in small groups of four, and some of the people in my group were very spirited (laughs) and, and full of opinions and all of that. And I found that as a person of peace, I could ask them questions. I could ask them to clarify. I could ask them, to. so does that mean this? Or so what would you say about that? And I noticed that, especially with one guy in particular, he just calmed way down Hmm. um, because people weren't biting on all of his stuff that was running through the air, you know. 
There was a leadership book, and you might have even given it to me uh, as I think about it, because it was a couple years ago, but it, they described that as two vibrating poles, and and if you can be a, a, a steady pole when that person comes and they're, they're chattering and vibrating, you don't you, you absorb it in some sense, but you don't then go shaking to another person. Yes. And it was like the, that imagery really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And it becomes healing for the one who's vibrating, and then they can even come down a little bit so they don't have to keep passing it on. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think what we're talking about really is healthy boundaries, knowing where I end and where you begin and respecting that. So if someone is really angry with you and and comes up, if you can be that calm person, that person of peace, um, a lot of times their anger will go down. Yeah. Otherwise, if you think it's all about you and they're attacking you and all of that, then you're going to all fight. Yeah. I've heard a term uh, like self-differentiation, you know, which is easier said than done. Uh, you know, Ruth, if, if you were to describe the meaning of that term, or you said earlier, non-anxious presence, how would you describe this if somebody was unfamiliar and they were listening? I, I think um, it's... It's about understanding that each person is a separate entity, including yourself, Mm -hmm. and that you can respect and honor and listen to and all of that for the other person, but you don't have to be joined and enmeshed with them. And so that non-anxious presence, that self-differentiated person says, well, here I am, and back to our previous conversation about talking about my age. I'm okay talking about my age. You may not be. If you're not, then that's okay. You're fine. You do what you need to do. Um, in the vernacular, it's probably called minding your own business. <laughs> and that has taken me a lifetime. Yeah. And having adult children and now young adult grandchildren to learn to mind my own mm-hmm. business. You know, yeah. I don't have to jump over into their yard and plant their flowers and pull up their weeds and do all that stuff. They've got their own yard and... Um, I have to knock on the gate to get let in. Yeah. yeah. It's easy to, for me, uh, to overfunction oh. sometimes and across that boundary. Of course. Yeah. And, and being in helping professions, we want to make things yeah. better. And a lot of times we can see exactly how to do it yeah. and exactly how they ought to do it. Right. And, and so it's a big temptation. Yeah. There's a lot of hubris, a lot of pride involved in it. Oh, I've got the answer. Exactly. Do it my way. If you would just listen to me. To jog back half a step uh, to managing other people's anxiousness, um, there's an image that I've been kind of reminding myself of lately that I return to sometimes, um, and that's sometimes I just need to be a sponge and absorb somebody's anxiousness, fear, you know, pain, whatever that would be. But I realized that at some point I need to wring that out and to let go of that. Um, another one that I return to sometimes is thinking about being a net um, and letting the, you know, the bulk of it pass through the openings, but holding on to the big things and, you know, trying to connect and remember and say, I, what I'm hearing you say is this thing. It sounds like the real thing is this. 
Um, and not when I can let the things, the small things and the emotion kind of pass through the openings in the net, it um, kind of frees me from trying to own all of the person's feelings and absorb it all in the anxious and then that I may not need to absorb. And you're right that that desire to fix it all is really all about us. It's not about caring for the other person. And when we have those healthy boundaries and the good nets, then you can care for people much better. Um, yesterday I heard on um, NPR a, a story of a, a woman who was a videographer for um, the crime scenes. Oh, my goodness, yeah. If you can imagine what she sees, and what, and she said the first two years she thought, I can't do this because she had nightmares, she carried images around, she had flashbacks and all of that. But then she realized that the better she did her job, the more justice was likely for the people involved in these crimes and for the victims, for their families, the comfort for their families and all. And so that kind of took her out of, this is all about me absorbing all this horrible stuff, to I can be helpful by doing my job really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Connecting it with a purpose beyond myself. Yeah, almost like attaching a hose to the sponge or something, to use that metaphor from a moment ago. Mm -hmm. There's an outlet, a purpose. I think we should talk more about that because my my gut is that there's people listening to this who um, have people in their life close. You know, I'm thinking of people your own age who have grandkids maybe that are no longer in, a, in, in practice in their faith. And there's a lot of pressure that, that people feel. We, we feel that for our kids, for our grandkids. In, let's just use this one example. Somebody, you know, a kid who is no longer walking in faith with Jesus. Uh, how do we address that 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 tendency for us to want to save and rescue and protect and the 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 guilt maybe that a person feels for that i've heard that expressed from older people before there's a lot of guilt i wish i would have done this i wish i would have done that how do you what's the balance then of still pursuing cuz god does ask us to be persons of peace even to our own family or friends but also letting go and and having those healthy boundaries Yeah. I think one of the most comforting things for me that I also say to other people at times is people make their own choices. And you can badger them, you can push them, you can punish them, you can reward them, you can do anything to get them to do your choice. But in the end, they still have their own choice and they will resent you then. (laughs) <laughs> for all that pressure and everything. Um, and as to all of the sins in our raising our children, that is probably one of the most challenging parts of growing older is because you can look back on your life and, as Scripture describes, see God's faithfulness and God's blessing all the way along. You can also see how often you sin make mistakes, which aren't sins necessarily, but mistakes, sins, wrong choices, whatever we did, and we feel horrible about it, and we think that's probably what got our kid off on the wrong track. It may not be, but we have to go to Jesus for that forgiveness and say, whatever it is I did, 
I am sorry, I repent. Just protect this child yeah. who has chosen to go a different way. Yeah. So parents and grandparents of young adults see their young adults that they love making horrible choices all the time. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, we just can't, we can't turn it around. We can't change things. Um, people, again, we're back to healthy boundaries. People make their own choices yeah. in their yard, what they're going to plant in their yard. And we wish it were different, but we can't change it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Thank you. I really like the metaphor you're using, Ruth, about our yard and what we're responsible for. Um, you know, I, I've found in me, in my own heart over the last couple of years, uh, a growing awareness that I'd like to have the things in my yard look really, really good and who I present myself to be on the outside, to be the kind of person who always has it together and the best flowers and, you know, I've got my act together. Could you tell us about your journey thinking or becoming more and more aware of the things in your yard and the projection that we all want to have as human beings to be the kind of people who have it together. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's not the two of you. Maybe that's not anybody listening. But let's just pretend like other people may be on that journey too. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that (laughs) most of my life, from maybe about 10 on, I have been vexed with perfectionism. Hmm. And so I have to do the best impression management. I have to do the best everything. And it's exhausting. And um, it also wars against what God says in our baptism. I've claimed you. I've forgiven you. You don't have to go around trying to be perfect all the time. But for a whole bunch of reasons, I have spent my lifetime doing that. And it's only in recent months, actually, that I have identified my perfectionism as being an idol. Hmm. And I, as a mental health person, I have worked with my thinking about perfectionism. I have worked with all kinds of um, intrusive thought things, all, all kinds of things in the mental health world. And nothing freed me until I identified perfectionism as the accuser, my idol, the one who takes the center stage in my life and contradicts my baptism and contradicts my life of faith by accusing me constantly of not being perfect. And I've even tried humor, like, well, of course, you're not perfect. None of that has ever worked until I identified it as my idol and that was healing. Wow. That was shocking how the tentacles of that just started to pull away. I can't explain it except that it's got at work. But so I'm not vexed with that yeah. <laughs> anymore. One of my favorite stories is Ed Koch, the mayor of New York, was running for re-election one time. And uh, 60 Minutes was following him around with a camera. And so here he is wading into a crowd of people. And he's saying, not, I'm Ed Koch, vote for me. Vote for me, vote for me. 
what he says is, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? Hmm. How am I doing? And 60 minutes left the mic open for a very long time. And so we just heard him say that so many times. And I thought, that's how I'm living. That's how I'm living as a pastor's wife. In a congregational life, I'm always saying, how am I doing? Is this okay? How am I doing? You know? Wow. It's exhausting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So... There's, there's an incredible freedom <laughs> to uh, renounce the accusing idol and, and to, I think that contributes a lot to the kind of peace I have now in my later years. Huh. Yeah, those things are probably very related. Yeah, wow. So I'm hearing you say, um, for a long time, I was aware of this and I had tried a lot of things that really were kind of just pruning the edges, but not really getting to the roots. And the root was really, uh, you know, as good as thinking about my thinking is, the root was really, there's something that matters in my heart more, or just as much as Jesus in some moments. Yes. We put things next to him. Yeah. And the whole idea of really embracing and loving my baptism, where God called me his own, gave me the forgiveness of sins, opened the doors to paradise. All of that is lost when you're under the law of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. That, that grace just fades in those moments. And um, so it was intolerable, really. Yeah. But I lived with it for so many years and tried to work around it. Now, <laughs> the only flip side of perfectionism is that it, you have a very high standard for what you do, and and so that does help you do well. Um, but it's quite a price to pay. Yeah, yeah. There's a bright side and a shadow side of that. Yeah. yeah sure. Sometimes I've recognized in myself that my high standards for me get projected on the high standards that I have for the people around me, which isn't very fair mm-hmm. often. Well, we're back to healthy boundaries. Yeah. yeah. You know it what you want your yard to look like and when how God helps you shape your yard and all doesn't have to be the mirror image of someone else's mm-hmm. yard. They get their own yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that goes back to parenting. As I was saying earlier, you know, a little tiff with our daughter, Amanda and I are realizing that her love language is words of affirmation. Our love language is sarcasm. Uh, and those two things don't necessarily go with uh, well with each other, and so we have to be very intentional on our own standards for her, but but then also pouring into her the, the way Jesus pours into us. We we need to pour into our kids, our spouses, those same those same words of affirmation, because otherwise, what they can see or perceive from us is that we have no boundaries, or our boundaries are the only ones that matter. And yep. I better live to this standard, yep. or else. Yep. Yeah. And that's such an external expectation. And what we want our children to do is is, um, grow internally so that they know what God wants and how they want to live and what their boundaries are and so forth. So we want them to develop that. But the temptation is always to impose it on them. This is the way it will be. This is how you will be. Um, So we have to pull back as parents and grandparents. <laughs> I feel like we should pay Ruth uh, for this 
podcast. Like, I feel like I'm getting some counseling for free, <laughs> some therapy that I need. Uh, how do we, how do we, we write a check or how does that work? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to need a new budget for guest, a, guest appearance fee Ruth, or something like that. Can we do this every day, every week? <laughs> I am just finishing up Tim Keller's book, uh, The Prodigal God, in which he talks about the elder brother and the younger brother, and he he talks about the people who are caught up in the elder brother sin, syndrome um, often are the ones who crash and burn yeah. because they've done so well and they're so righteous and they're so good and they've slaved their whole lives and all, and it, it doesn't hold. And so then they are the ones who have these spectacular crashes yeah. uh, in the middle of all their their mm-hmm. righteousness and success and everything. Yeah. That book was very meaningful for me. I was going to say, Nate, you have that book memorized, I feel like. Yeah. 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 To discover the true elder brother in Jesus and the elder brother that I am mm-hmm. and how I am both brothers and how I need Jesus for both parts of my heart that yes. is wayward and that is, you know, yeah. performing. Yes. Ruth, I heard you mention... Uh, that it's just been in the last couple of months you've had this new awareness of what's really been at the core and the center stage was a phrase you used. How did you become aware of that? (laughs) Well, I belong to a congregation that has some good preaching. And my pastors, for a while over the last couple of years, talked about your idols. And I, of course, am sitting in the pew saying, I don't have any idols. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> so then, more recently, as I have um, been praying and thinking about my perfectionism and that cage that I'm in because of that, um, I've just said, okay, God, show me my idols, whatever. And he did. So the thought about idols would never have occurred to me, Hmm. and certainly not on a personal basis. And even when you offered it, (laughs) I didn't take it personally. But then God used it to go deep and to say, okay, I think this is where you are, and I think the only thing that's going to free you is to let go of this idol. Yeah. So they, I think, Nate, this is one of your phrases, your Nate-isms, but um, you often talk about, like, or ask, I guess, a metaphorical question, is this as good as it gets? Like, do we get stuck in this thinking of, this is it, I've reached my pinnacle. And I, I hope people are listening to this and going, no matter how old I am, no matter how many times I've prayed about a certain thing or through just the, the omission of not even trying to think about it, that... God is still at work at me on my heart and still pushing me. And this is not as good as it gets. There, there's, there's, we, we can grow. We can yeah. reach that higher level of maturity and spiritual faith. And I think that's really encouraging. I, I, yeah, that's, that's what I'm walking away from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, there's an educational concept called a growth mindset, you know, that educators want for their students, you know, to have an openness to learning and then to be able to build upon that primary learning. And I, I pull that together with Paul's 
prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 1, where he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened, that you may know uh, the height and depth and love of Jesus, who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, that to have a spiritual growth mindset is a fundamental attitude. I'm hearing you say that you have that as well, Ruth, is your attentiveness in to preaching or, or sometimes inattentiveness. <laughs> or sometimes my pushing back. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm hearing you uh, give attention to your own prayer life that was a part of that journey. Any scriptures that have been particularly helpful for you? Well, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to remember if it's the very end of Psalm 139 or Psalm 39. I think it's 139. I'm going to fact Mike, check you. Don't worry. You can look us. it up. Where a translation of it that I love is, God, point out to me anything about me that makes you sad. Huh. Hmm. And I have prayed that prayer so much over the years. And God is faithful. He will point out those things. It's yep. a prayer I hate to pray. Psalm, Psalm 139, yeah. Okay. Search me, O God, know my heart. Yes. Uh, try me and know my thoughts. In this translation, uh, your verse, and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I prayed that prayer over the decades. And God is faithful to point out whatever it is about me that makes him sad. And, um, and then to lead me in the, the right path. So it, that's, for me, the faith journey, the faith, the growth journey. I'm, I love to learn. That's probably a central point of my life is to learn in so many areas in so many ways. And uh, so he has always kept that fresh. Whenever I pray that, hmm. he answers it. And most of the time I hate it, but that's where I need to grow. Yeah, that's good. So I'm also curious then to hear uh what does the way everlasting look like? What parts of your life have you begun to see freedom and experience and feel freedom from perfectionism? I heard you mention a minute ago, you know, I care less about how old I am, to use my words, not yours. Are there other examples of that you said, oh, hey, this isn't that big of a deal as I thought it was? I think one of the things is I'm more willing to risk now because I'm not risking my perfect image, <laughs> which I probably never had anyway. But um, I'm, I'm more willing to try things and to approach people and to interact with people in, in a way that is just much more freed up. I don't have to be perfect with them. Yeah. You, so you're saying uh, the freedom to take risks the bravery and the courage that comes with that, uh, but also specifically in relationships with people. that I feel more connected and able to connect with others than I did maybe, perhaps. Yeah, because I've, I think perfectionism is sort of a wall, too, hmm. where you, you've got to get everything perfect within this sphere, and you can't, um, you can't get out of that sphere. And now the walls are down. And so I can try things. I can risk things. I can uh, deal with things in a whole different way. Micah, every time we do this, 
I really cherish the conversation we had, and Ruth was no exception. Great to sit down and spend some time sharing with her. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, we've known Ruth for many years, and, and personally, she's been a, a blessing to me and, and has helped me with some stuff. And uh, what I'm walking away from today, though, is the thing that she was talking about with setting boundaries and also not owning people's sins and mistakes and letting them go. And I, I find that for me, I do have a hard time as a pastor and, and maybe just the way I'm wired when I see somebody that's not living, uh, I guess you could say their best life. I'm sure I just stole that from Tony Robbins or somebody, but uh, missing out on what God has for them. I think it's Joel Osteen. <laughs> Joel Osteen. Oh, good. Even better. You know, like I, I want to help him. I want Quick question. Is he your hero? Like your secret hero? <laughs> You could say you could say strongly no. It's a hard pass. Mate. Hard pass. Okay, keep going. Um, but I want them to. If I can see it clearly, I want to help them. And so I scheme and I plot and I, I preach and I teach and you know, all these things. Well, it reminded me of Proverbs sixteen nine, it says the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. It's a great reminder for me. Hopefully for you too. If this is something you wrestle with, that. Ultimately, we need to commit those people that we're worried about, want to help, into the Lord's hands. Yes, do what we can with those boundaries, though, in place, but ultimately it's a freeing thing to turn them over to the Lord. Two things for me were really significant. Uh, the first was our conversation toward the end about idols. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the beginning, we were talking about growing old and aging, and you know, for, for me, I was like, well, you know. I got that. I'm nailed. 41. Yeah. I started losing my hair 20 years ago. Like that's you know, I've, I've been dying to my hairline's been dying to that for a long time. Uh, you know, but to talk about the things that we stack next to Jesus for our identity and self worth that we put in the center of our hearts, no matter what we may say, we believe about Him. She said, "I've been hearing you guys preach about that for years, but just recently went, oh, you know, in the posture of." of humility that says, God, I'm not done yet, and you're still working on me at 77, and this isn't just for someone else to hear, this is something that I need to hear, Mm -hmm. and her attentiveness to her own um, thought life, her own heart, not just praying for um, God to fix her circumstances and make her life more comfortable, but inviting God to make her uncomfortable through that prayer in an indirect way. Um, And she likes our preaching, so... Yeah, that's well, pretty good. That doesn't. That's. Uh, we should have her on every every episode. Now I have a new idol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's number one idols, and number two was about how central baptism is to our identity. That that's the event where uh, God uh, adopts us into His family in our past historically, but how much of that's a present reality for her? Like Luther says, we got to return to our baptism every day. Uh, that that washing. Um, I've heard somebody say that even like something as simple as washing your hands, uh, taking a shower, those sort of physical ways that uh, connect us to physical water uh, and the waters of baptism where God renews us, that that's a daily thing, not just a historical thing. And how much more meaningful that is for her. I can relate to that because years ago I thought, oh yeah, baptism, big deal. Uh, But how meaningful, much more meaningful it is for me today. So those are the two things that jumped out at me, idols and baptism. One practical thing, I'll go and then you can uh, share. Uh, We talked about this off mic as we were uh, walking Ruth out together. Uh, Tim Keller's book, Prodigal God, uh, Ruth mentioned that. 
I read that a couple years ago. It was really significant for me to open my own heart and eyes to my own sin and rebellion and striving to perform and approval, the elder brother that's in all of us. Anyway, check that book out if any of this about idols and the cross and the empty tomb um, might be something that you are resonating with in this episode. Really simple read. Tim Keller's Prodigal God. Yep. For me, it's, it's the theme that's been happening over and over and over in these podcasts and these stories where ordinary people are sharing extraordinary life in Christ. Have you noticed that they're all saying these things, that they're in worship, so they're receiving the sacraments, they're hearing God's Word, their prayer life is informed in some way and, and growing, and they're reading the Bible. And it's three things that seem so ordinary, but oh my goodness, look at the life change, look at the growth that people have experienced in sharing with us. Uh, so maybe it's the ordinary things that we need to lean into a little bit more. Oh, I said lean in. Lean in. Yeah. You say it all the time. I know, it's a word. That's your favorite phrase. It's my phrase. Lean into it. Hey, thanks for checking out this episode. And for more stories just like Ruth's, go to ourfatherlutheran.net slash stories. So one more question as we begin our time or end. Uh, so one more question related to that as we're wrapping up our time. <laughs> Sorry, that is so great because she's talking about perfectionism and you messed it up. <laughs> and to get it perfect, you started it over. <laughs> I could not have. Uh, we should leave that in. <laughs> Speak this will be the perfect the question. <laughs> Yes, the outtakes would be the good thing. That was absolutely fantastic.